Welcome back to Out of the Box with Christine, the podcast for conscious entrepreneurs, where I, Christine Blasdell, get to bring to you, the conscious entrepreneur, some master teachers in all realms of life, health, wealth, love, prosperity, abundance, and you name it. If it's about making your life better, we're going to be talking about it on the show. Stay tuned. It's going to be a great episode. Hello, everyone. I'm Christine Blasdell, and welcome back to Out of the Box with Christine, the podcast for conscious entrepreneurs. And today I have a treat for you. We're going to be talking about something that makes some people very uncomfortable. But if you are an entrepreneur, if you're a human being on the planet, you need to be thinking about these things. And that's about our money, 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 money. I could put all kinds of cabaret songs up here, but um, it's a subject matter that, again, some people feel a little uncomfortable about. And we're going to break it down with my very special guest today, who is a financial expert. Even though he looks like a baby, is, this is uh, James Canole, who is a certified financial planner. He is also the founder of Root Financial Partners and host of the Ready for Retirement podcast. So he's a podcaster as well. He holds an MBA in finance. And I think you must have gotten that when you were like three. Because James, <laughs> two and a half, Christine. <laughs> yes. For those of you who are watching this on YouTube, you can see how how young my guest is. Uh, for those that are listening to this on a podcast show, check out the video because, um, yeah, James, you could be my son. I just realized that. Should I adopt you? Hey, it, let's do it. Okay. Thank you so much for having me, Christine. And yes, it's um, I'm excited to be here because money is scary and is overwhelming for everyone. And excited just to be able to address that with you. Well, and especially in these times, right? We, it, we are, as a human species, really approaching, uh, we're in the middle of something that we haven't experienced, um, maybe way, way, way back in our DNA. But there is this, um, this crazy thing with, with financial markets, with um, employment or lack thereof businesses going belly up at the moment. And so mm -hmm. my, my desire with this show is to free us up from those old beliefs around money and also give our audience some tips and some suggestions on how they can take a look at money and especially going into retirement, which is your expertise. So thank you again for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. So let's, let's start with, uh, with the beginning because I always like to find out with my guests how they became who they are, how they got into the business or expertise that they're in. How, how did you get into finance? Was this something that you've, it's always been rather easy for you or is it something that you came into later in life? But parts of it have. And I think as always in life, the dots make more sense. They're easier to connect looking backwards than they are going forward sometimes. But I think looking backwards, I remember growing up and not having much money as a family. And, and as a kid, you don't know that. You don't know if, if money is plentiful, if money is tight. You just know that you've got a family and you're part of it. But I remember distinctly as a child, there, there was kind of this uh, stressful period in life. And then something happened and things were a lot less stressful after that. And, and I, you know, I was a 10-year-old, 11-year-old, 12-year-old. You don't know what it is. 
but later came to find out that uh, it was a finance thing. Okay, my parents, they at the time found a book called Financial Peace University, and it uh, they read it, put some things into play, and things were different. And so the, the specifics of the financial planning to me at the time, they meant nothing. I didn't know what budgeting was or investing was or retirement plans. None of that meant anything. But even at a young age, I think I could tell that there was something more the, to this than just the money. I could tell there was the peace of mind. I could tell that there was, uh, I think, just that, just peace. And so from a very young age, I, I knew that there was something to this money thing that had bigger implications than just the, the, the size of your bank account. But growing up, yeah, the, I think that I was drawn to math. I was drawn to critical thinking, problem solving, and throughout college and then business school, studied finance because I thought, okay, that's a thing to do. I could probably get a good job studying finance. I'm good at it, so I'll do that. But didn't know what avenue of finance. You know, do I do corporate finance? Do I do banking? Do I do insurance? Do I do? Uh, there's a million different ways you could use finance. But what stuck out to me is through a variety of internships and jobs, I got connected with a financial planning firm and a firm that I felt was doing it the right way. And what I saw was it was a way to use finance, but more as a means to an end. How, how do we use finance as a tool to unlock intentional living? How do we use finance as a tool to help people uh, get their dream home, to retire, to become financially independent, to send kids to college, to be able to quit their job and pursue the next business they want to start? It was that alignment of using finance as something more than just dollars and cents, but using it to help people accomplish very real and very cool and fulfilling things that I immediately fell in love with. So I did that. That was 10 years ago that I graduated and started in this industry and, and hope to do it for another 30, 40 years or however long I can because it's I just absolutely love it. Well, I also, because I'm an intuitive um as well. And what I got a hit on is, uh, and I don't know if you have a book in the workings or if you're thinking about doing it, but you do need to write that book. <laughs> Auntie Christine is telling you, you need to write that book. You, you heard it here first. I will yes. do that. <laughs> and, and it's, and I don't even know what the exact title is, but it's, you know, it's, it's basically along the lines of, of, uh, of retirement, um, uh, a planning for dummies type thing. And it's not not to insinuate that people are dummies, but you know what I'm saying. Um, mm-hmm. uh, let's mm-hmm. let's talk about because we we touched on this before we started the the show a little bit about people, um, and maybe it's because of the way they their family was, how they were raised, how society, what culture they're in. But a lot of people have um, a hard time around the concept of money. And it makes them feel very uncomfortable. And I think part of that is maybe is as you're growing up, if you do witness your parents fighting over, you know, money, spending, budgeting, someone loses a job that puts stress on the family. Um, there's those old adages of uh, money is the root of all evil, you know, uh, all those things. Let's talk about people's concepts of money and have you having you working in the industry so much have you dealt with people who have a block or a fear around money and finances absolutely all all the time and and the thing that's interesting is it has nothing to do with the amount of money someone has you you can have someone who's dead broke and someone who has millions and millions of dollars and both feel equally trapped by their financial situation so it's it's not about having some level of money it's about our beliefs around money and you're exactly right i think 
you know, sometimes we're taught money is the root of all evil, which you know, originally stemmed from the love of money is the root of all evil. And money itself is amoral. Money itself is, is a tool. Um, you know, we were talking about what happened this last year and COVID and the pandemic and people losing jobs and losing incomes and losing all this stuff. And I've had a chance to see a lot in terms of the haves and the haves nots in this. You know, I, I've been able to see people that don't have anything and they've been just devastated by this. My, my sister, she runs a, a nonprofit for domestic abuse victims. And I've been doing some financial literacy courses and just the lack of money, the lack of having something, the lack of an income or being in debt over their head or being financially abused by a partner, they're trapped. And I see other people who can, who, who've been able to give tremendously and been able to do wonderful things with their money. And so it's not a, do you have it or do you not have it? It's, it's not having, it can cause a huge amount of anxiety and a huge amount of overwhelm. And when your money's not right, or when you don't have that, Money is not the be all end all. And the, the love of money is certainly a bad thing, I would say, but money itself is a tool. And if you can align it with, with your values and what's most important, whether that's pursuing your creative energy and the work that you do, whether it's being able to build wealth and give it away, whether it's being able to provide for your family or do things for those less fortunate, that's powerful. And, and so money as a tool, uh, you know, there's, there's a great saying, I think it's Sir Francis Bacon, who said money is a... Uh, a great servant, but a terrible master. Ooh, and if you can yes. make money your servant, it's powerful. But if money is your master, then absolutely it's, uh, it, it can be an impressive ruler. Well, and it's, it's an inner, it's an energy, right. Too. And in, and many of us, uh, many, many people exchange an energy for that money. So we exchange our labor, we exchange our uh, expertise we exchange it's an exchange of energy basically and mm -hmm. but then what i what i want to tap into is that in that exchange of energy once you once you have that money there are things that we can do to make that money grow and do other things it, create other energies in other words so like you were saying have that ability to buy that house that we, you know, that we want for our family or invest it in either stocks or um, it, different plans. Let's talk about taking that, the, the money that we do have and being able to utilize that. When you're talking to, to clients, what, what questions are you asking them as far as the best use of that money? Mm -hmm. uh, the, the first questions always come down to values and goals. So, you know, your what are the values that you have as a as an individual, as a family? Okay, that should give shape to the goals that you have. The goals that you have should give shape to the actions and the strategies that you take. But I think, just practically speaking, when it comes to okay, what do I do with my money? The first thing, regardless of the person, because there's different ways to do this. Of course, it's you could do real estate, you could do the stock market, you could do business, you, there's so many things. And so I'm not going to be that person that says there's one way to wealth and you have to pigeonhole yourself into this way. But the general foundation, I would say, is the same for everyone, which is number one, build that good foundation. As you're trying to get your money right and you're trying to invest and you're trying to do different things. Well, if you're up to your eyeballs, say in credit card debt or in loans, and if all the min income coming in each month is going straight to pay the bank, let's get the foundation right. Let's pay off some of that debt. Let's get rid of the bank as, as someone that has a claim to your income. Um, let's build up an emergency fund. Let's make sure that you have money set aside for that rainy day. I think 2020 showed us all there will be rainy days. 
uh, maybe it's not a pandemic next time, but maybe it's losing a job. Maybe it's the industry that your business is in goes through a recession. Maybe it's an emergency medical bill, whatever it might be. But if you can build a foundation, which means have all your high interest debt paid off and have a good emergency fund, it's a great place to start. Yes. Don't think about investing to get 8, 10, 12% if you're paying huge interest on credit cards or other loans. It just doesn't make sense mathematically. So number one, I would say is build that strong foundation. Number two is understand the power of compound interest. And I use kind of a really tired analogy with people that's been, you know, maybe people have heard it before, but I say, if I give you an option of, I'm either going to give you a million dollars today, or I will give you one penny, but that penny will double every day for a month. Which would you take? And you look at that and you say, okay, well, a penny doubling, okay, one penny, two penny, four pennies, eight, eight it's probably the million dollars, right? It seems like an obvious choice. (laughs) That's what most people would think until they find out, okay, if a penny doubles for a month or 31 days, 31 days later, it's worth over $10 million. And and it's just hard to wrap your mind around that. And again, like you, you, you take that all the way out and it's not till days 20, 25, 30, 31, that that really begins happening. Well, that's just the power of compound interest and compound interest exists everywhere. So once you have your foundation built, then it's how do I apply my money in a way that takes advantage of that compounding? That could be through real estate. That could be through the stock market. That could be through your own business. That could be through different other investment avenues. Um, and by the way, it's, it's not limited to just money. That applies to your skill set. That applies to your relationships. That applies to your health. That applies to everything else. If we can take those daily actions to become better and better and better in each area, it doesn't seem like a lot the first few days. Okay, I, my one penny is now two pennies. My two pennies are now four pennies. Well, do that for long enough. And all of a sudden it's, wow, where did these millions come from? Not just my bank account, but my relationships, my businesses, my health, um, everything that's important to us. So I would say number two is understand the power of compound interest. And then number three is just having a plan. If you came to me, Christine, and, and you know, Christine version one said, hey, I'm really saving up so I can quit my job and go start this new business. And Christine version number two said, I love my job, but I want to be in a position to be financially independent, say in 20 years, and just need to save a little bit along the way. Well, the plan of attack would be different for each of those oh. Christines. It's understanding what are we investing for? Is it long-term goals? Is it short-term goals? Is it something that you can afford to take some risk with? Is it something you can't? Uh, but really understanding what are we planning and investing for is, is what's going to drive ultimately some of the things that you should do to get there. I, and I, I'm thinking too, along the lines that a lot of, a lot of people, especially now with the, the pandemic, their long-term goals have been sort of derailed, right? So they're thinking emergency, like right now, and they don't know, we, we've had such faith in the stock market and social security always being there and all of that. And now there's a real um, uncertainty. And understandably mm-hmm. so, because we've, you know, again, this is global. It's not just something happening mm-hmm. in one part of the world, it's global. And so people are very nervous. What have you noticed with, in the last year, would you say, um, what would you notice, what have you noticed about people and their savings, uh, their habits with savings? Are people pulling money out? Are, are people still able to sock that money away and, and do it in a wise fashion? Yeah. And it, it, it's, um, 
so dependent upon what industry was that person in. You, you know, some people, this completely devastated them. They were in the hospitality industry or they owned an industry where it, it was dependent upon foot traffic and people coming into their store and all of a sudden, okay, that's just gone. One day it's here, one day it's not, that, that's gone. Other people, they were e-commerce, they're doing things online or whatever it was. I'm just using examples and things have never been stronger from a financial standpoint for them. So I would say that that, that is why step number one of the kind of the three-part framework that I built out is always have that good foundation. If you didn't have the cash reserves, if you didn't have um, some of the debt payments, some of the loans, it, it's just much easier to endure a storm like 2020, like it was for most people. You know, I have clients that lost businesses, but they had their emergency fund in place. They weren't over leveraged. They had their expenses under control. And so they're back on their feet again. It was a temporary disruption, not a fun disruption at all. It, and a lot of their dreams and hard work over years and years and years was just gone seemingly overnight, but they're not financially ruined because along the way they had their foundation built. They were taking some of their profits each year and investing those into something totally diversified, not in just the business. And so it was a, it was a painful disruption, but they're back on their feet. Other people, if they were to leveraged in one thing, whether it was a property or a business or one thing, and that one thing was gone, well, now you kind of are starting over. So it kind of speaks to the having the foundation first and foremost before doing anything else, because something like this is going to come along. So I would say in terms of the stock market, it's been crazy as everyone's seen, but the, the general foundations on what we can expect from that over time, I would say haven't really changed that much. The details are different and they're always different. There's always a new crisis. Mm -hmm. But this is something we've seen over the last hundred years. It just manifests itself in different ways each time. And it causes us to always think this time is different, but, and in some ways it is, but in many ways, if you have the right plan of how you're going to be invested in the stock market and we can get into that, that would be helpful. Um, you're going to do a whole lot better than if everything you have is riding on that and your daily expenses are dependent upon that and your long-term expenses are dependent upon that. That's where it could get ugly. Well, and something that's changed too is that, you know, many, I remember my, my grandmother, uh, she got me my first, you know, savings account book, right? You know, I, I, yep. I got to go to the bank and I think it was Union Bank or something. I can't remember the, the name of the bank exactly, but I remember the importance of that and in being taught that at a real, you know, at a relatively young age. And it was always exciting to have, you know, put money in there. But then, I, then today, when you look at like the interest rates you get for putting your money in the bank, it doesn't matter how much money you're putting in the bank and the savings, it's not generating a lot. So that's why I know a lot of people are putting their money in the stock market. But what that said, the stock market is, you know, it's like it can it can go so many different ways. It's like it's like Vegas. Right. Well, and you bring up an excellent point and something I should touch on because it cash is not going to do much for you over strategy that allows you to retire or allows you to be financially independent. Cash is more like an insurance policy, I'd say, for most people, because you look at the stock market and it's very risky in the short term. You know, we had a day last year where the stock market was down 12 percent in one single day. That's, that's very, very risky. If you might need that money today, you don't want to take that risk. But over long periods of time, the stock market's one of the least risky things that you can do. And, and I'll, I'll give you an example. If you, on a daily basis, so the S&P 500 is just an index that measures the performance of the 500 biggest 
505 biggest companies in the United States. So when people say, oh, how's the stock market doing? Well, there's not just one stock market. All you have is a bunch of individual companies that you can invest in. So the S&P 500 is just an index that says, let's track the 500 biggest here in America. Um, on a daily basis, the S&P 500 over the last 100 years or so is up about 53% of the time and it's down about 47% of the time on a daily basis. So do you want an investment that's gonna give you a positive outcome 53% of the time? Probably not. But if you extend that to a month, 63% of the time, it's up in value. If you extend that time horizon to a year, over all rolling one-year time periods, about 75% of the time, it goes up in value. Over five years, it's up. it goes up in value about 85% of the time. At 10 years, it's about 95%. And at 15 years, 100% of the time historically. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean? It, it means that if you only have a short time horizon to invest, the stock market's very risky. It could be up a whole bunch or it could be down a whole bunch and you might get burned if you try to play it in the short term. But the longer you can remain invested, the more and more likely you are to make money and not just make money, but make significant amounts of money when that compounding factor comes into play. So I bring that up because if we're looking at cash, cash can be great to have in your emergency fund. But if the only saving you ever do to cash is to cash, yes, it protects against short-term risk, but it's incredibly risky in the long-term. Right. Because over the long-term inflation is going up and your cash isn't growing for you. So your purchasing power is just staying stagnant and in fact diminishing. That's where the stock market over the long run is the least risky thing you can do, or some investment, I should say, is the least risky thing because it's all about preserving purchasing power, but in the short run, it's very risky. So it's about balancing those two risks. Well, and then the, the question that's on my mind, and it's the, it, it's the collective question because I can hear right now the audience going, Okay, James, what what do I invest in? And I know, and I know you're not gonna. I know you're not gonna say you should pick this stock or you should do this. But mm-hmm. if you were to say some really some uh, really decent stocks or things that maybe you yourself are doing well with or your clients are doing well with, would you share that with us? Yeah, and and, and so here's what I'll say is. Um, the, I think one of the things that's overwhelming about finance is feeling like, oh, if I'm going to invest, I have, like, I have to pick the best stock. I have to get that. Well, let's just imagine you owned all the stocks because I mentioned the S&P, the S&P 500 over time averaged about 10% per year, going back 100 years. It was the top 5 to 10% of stocks each year, though, that drove almost all of that return. Mm-hmm. Meaning the top 5 to 10% of the stocks in that index did almost all the heavy lifting. Everything else didn't. So you can try to play the game of, can I predict those top 5 to 10% of stocks each year? And, and you have a 5 to 10% chance of making a lot of money if you pick those, but you have about a 90% chance of making no money or losing money if you pick the wrong ones. Correct. Well, instead of doing that, what if you just cast a wide net and own the whole market? What if you just own the whole S&P 500? Well, if you did that, and I'm just using the S&P kind of as an example in this standpoint. Um, if you did that, if you get 10% per year, which is what is done historically, you're probably going to have more than enough to accomplish all of your goals. And if you invested $10,000 in the S&P 500 40 years ago and didn't touch, didn't, didn't add to it, didn't do anything to it, it's about $860,000 today. Hmm. That's not picking the best stock. That's not timing the market. That's not only if you were able to navigate COVID and get out before it dropped or navigate the housing crisis and get out before it dropped. That's if you just stuck your money in and let it go. 
and so what you start to see is, is instead of trying to work against the markets and trying to pick the best stocks or time the market, if you can work with it, if you can have that alignment of having your plan and using the market to work with it, you're going to have all of your goals taken care of. Now, you shouldn't just invest in the S&P. You also want to own some maybe international companies or some small companies or some real estate or some bonds or whatever it is that, that really fits within your plan that aligns with the plan that you have. But to answer your question directly, I don't invest in many individual stocks except for as kind of my fun account. I have a fun account on the side that I pick individual stocks because it's, it is almost it's like fun. gambling. <laughs> it is fun. But for the money I expect to make money on, the money where I expect, hey, this is going to be there and do really well for me, it's really well diversified. It's really well spread out into thousands of different stocks. So I don't have to worry about what's the market doing or am I timing it or am I owning the best things? I'm just owning everything and letting that work for me. And, and so how do you do that with um, so a lot of people, if they, if they are, if they have any stocks, they have like a brokerage account and they can look up a stock, you know, a ticker symbol, right? How do you invest in the 500? Um, is there mm -hmm. a tick, is there something, a ticker symbol that, ha that represents all of that? Or are we talking about a different type of plan? No, you're, yes. Great question. So yes, you can't. There's no just direct way to own the S&P 500, but you can go own an S&P 500 mutual fund or an S&P 500 exchange traded fund or index fund where you are putting, you're pooling your money. You know, if you own a mutual fund or an ETF, um, you're buying one investment, but that investment is pooling the money of hundreds and thousands and millions of people to go say, okay, we're going to now go invest in all the companies in the S&P 500 for you. Okay, so Christine put some money in, James put some money in, other people put some money in. That manager says, we're going to take your money and spread it out for you. So you don't have to go out and individually buy all 500 of these companies. You just buy this one fund and this fund does it for you. And then of course you pay a fee to that fund, but you can get some for very, very low cost. Awesome. Awesome. Oh, I love this. Okay. See yeah. my brain, <laughs> I feel a little bit better now. Cause I, <laughs> I was one of those, I'm one of those people too. I get, again, uh, when, when, you know, when it's tax time, when we're, we're talking numbers and finances, a lot of us, because I'm included, I'll include myself, a lot of us have that deer in the headlights, like, uh, because it seems so big and so scary for people because yeah. it's, yeah, it's our, it's our future, right? It's our retirement or, yes. um, where we see ourselves in a few years. Um, one thing that uh, I know that you are a real amazing expert at too is talking to, in, uh, especially since a lot of our audience are self-employed entrepreneurs, um, what about the entrepreneur, what about the self-employed and their retirement plan options? Because gone are the days where you have a job and you have a retirement plan or a pension plan and that company sticks with you and holds you throughout everything those days yeah. are probably gone for a lot of people not for everybody but yes. for quite a few um what are some um some options for people who are entrepreneurs and what thinking about their retirement other than just getting the social social security money at age 65 and i know it's better to take it when you're older not right when you're right when you're like i think it's 60 or 62 you're allowed to start taking right yeah, 62, you're eligible. 62, mm -hmm. yeah. But don't. Yeah. No. 
<laughs> yeah, it's it, it's it, great question because as a business owner, there's there's a few different kind of facets to this. Your business should probably be the best investment you have. You know, concentration builds wealth, but diversification protects wealth. I'll tell people. So you're a business owner. I'm a business owner. A lot of listeners here are business owners. Your business will probably be the best rate of return you get. It should be your best rate of return. That's probably why you're in business is you're hoping to grow into something that can pay you dividends and cash flow and something that you can live on. But what we have to do is make sure that as we receive those profits and those dividends and that cash flow from our business, are we taking those, taking inventory of those and spreading them out into something else? So you could do what we just talked about. Okay, you have income from your business. Okay, I've got some profits this year. I want to go invest it in this mutual fund or that ETF or this whatever. That's that's good. But what's better is can you get a tax benefit for doing that at the same time? And so that's where establishing a retirement plan for the business can be really helpful. So you you hear, you know, if you work for a corporation or W-2 wage earner, you, you might have access to a 401k or something like that. Well, as a business owner, you can set up your own 401k where you can customize it to, to you, or you can create a SEP IRA or simple IRA. And th these are just all kind of examples of retirement plans for your business. The, the benefit of that is you can still invest in those same funds that we talked about, but if you do so through a 401k or a SEP IRA or something like that, now any money that you invest in that is lowering your taxable income today. So not only are you taking advantage of the compound growth of that investment, but you're also saving money in taxes in doing so. If I just take 10,000 and put it in some S&P 500 ETF over here outside of a retirement plan, great, that's going to grow for me, but I'm still going to pay taxes on that $10,000. Correct. If I do that to my 401k instead, well, that reduces my taxable income by $10,000 and I can still invest in that and it's going to grow tax deferred. So that's where it takes a little bit more intentionality because you have to create your own retirement plan for your business. You don't have someone doing it for you. You don't have a corporation doing it for you or creating a pension, but the opportunity when you do it is, is significantly better than if you were kind of a, a W-2 employee because you can customize it to your particular situation. Correct. You can customize it to your level of income or to the tax savings that you want or to the features that you want. So it's more unnerving and scary because it's up to you, but the potential to do even better is also there because it's up to you when you can custom create something for your situation. Well, and I think what's, what's nice about that too, is that you feel a bit more in control. Yes. Um, whereas when you, when it's through a company or, or, a, or a corporation or something like that, they're doing it all. It's almost like it's something that's separate from you as well. <laughs> But um, yes. <laughs> I like the idea. I, I, I like the idea that, you know, we have that ability ourselves to create. And I know um, with the 401k, um, there's, and there's lots of different um, of options for people, but then they have that control of exactly of how much they're putting in. And, and now on that, on the 401k, is that also you, you will get penalized, correct? If you take it out early before retirement? There, yes. Yeah. So the I, the IRS is says okay, and of course this is the for U.S. kind of tax code. Of course, the IRS says, look, we're going to incentivize you to save for retirement because we don't want to take care of you when you're older and not working anymore. So we're going to give you a tax benefit for putting money into a retirement plan, but we're going to make sure that this is really a retirement plan that you're not just taking this money out next year um, to go take a trip around the world. You know, it's it's money that you can't really touch until fifty nine and a half with with 
exceptions, of course. So going back to the framework of, okay, well, why do you build that strong foundation before investing? Well, you build that so that you have cash on hand, so that you can, you have income coming in before you invest so that you don't need to access your 401k. You want to think of money you put in your 401k as like planting seeds. And those seeds are going to grow into big, beautiful trees that are going to generate tons and tons of fruit for you. But if you pull those seeds out after one year, they're just not going to do anything. So, so make root. sure that before you, <laughs> there, there's no fruit yet, right? right? So it's making sure that your business, which is the tree that is generating fruit today, make sure there's enough fruit to live on so that you can take some of those seeds and plant more trees. So there's more, even more fruit in the future. But if you think that you're going to need that money before retirement, so before 59 and a half, then there's probably other options. Um, it might not make most sense to do the retirement plan. Got it. Got it. Okay. Now, one more question. Um, there, you on your podcast show to talk about some hidden tax savers, little hidden tax saving uh, tips. Would you like to share some of those with us? And then I'm going to tell everybody where you're at, how they can find you and also how they can listen to your podcast. Yeah, of course. Thank you. So the, the, the ones that I was talking about on the podcast, like most recently had to do with um, you know, let's, let's assume Christine that you work several years, you put a bunch of money in your 401k because it saves you on taxes. Well, when you retire, any money that you take out of there is going to be fully taxable. So it saves you money when you're working, but as it's growing tax-free, you pay taxes on that when you take it out. A lot of those tips had to do with, you might be making an income that puts you in one tax bracket when you're in your working years. But as soon as you're done working, either because you retire, you're taking a couple years off, or you're just doing another type of work, your income typically falls, which means your tax bracket typically falls quite a bit. So it's, it's in years like those of, can you strategically not take money out of your 401k to live on it, but to convert it to a Roth IRA? Because a Roth IRA, that's different than a 401k in that any money in a Roth IRA, it goes com grows completely tax-free forever. You never have to worry about taxes again, and that's important. Because at age 72, you're going to be required to start taking money out of your 401ks and IRAs, and the IRS is going to tax you on that. So as we start thinking about that compounding growth principle, okay, if I'm putting some money into my 401k each year, well, you might have a really, really, really large 401k by the time you turn 72. And now all of a sudden, the IRS is saying, Christine, you have to take out this percentage each year. Well, that might put you into a very high tax bracket because it's, oh my gosh, I have to take all this money in my account. Right. So I was talking about between retiring and between those years, can you systematically convert bits and pieces from your 401k, which is pre-tax, into a Roth IRA, which is after tax, so that you can do so at significantly lower tax brackets and not have to face a huge tax bill in the future. So that's what some of those were on, which are more applicable once you are in retirement or at least maybe taking a gap year in business or doing something where income is super low that can be really powerful and save tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars in taxes. And I, I want to encourage people to, cause, cause again, this can, it can be scary, but with someone like James too, that at least his vast knowledge um, it's really wonderful to have somebody that has so much knowledge around a subject matter that a lot of people run from, um, but you can't run from it because it's, it's, it's your future. Right. And it's so important. Yeah. So I want to encourage everybody to check out, uh, James Canole, his podcast is called Ready for Retirement. You can, I'll have a link to the show notes here. I'll have a link to the podcast show so you can check it out. And his website is readyforretirement.co. Again, I'll have a link in the show notes for that as well. And I just want to thank you so much, James, for being on the show today. 
and for helping me feel a little bit, a little bit better about money <laughs> and about the future. And I'll be talking to you um, soon too about, about living in two different countries and how America, how the United States loves to tax its citizens no matter where they live. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me, Christine. It was a lot of fun. Ah, oh, thank you, love. And thank you, wonderful listeners, for tuning in today. Make sure if you're watching this on YouTube, you, you click the subscribe button and also hit that bell so you can be notified of upcoming shows. And for everyone else, thank you so very much again for tuning in. And as I always say, remember to think outside that damn box. Bye for now. <laughs>